Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. But, but I want to talk to you around this idea of it's worth it. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a very real way. God, I ask that you would come Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you'd quicken our hearts. That, Lord, you would encourage the discouraged. Lord, that you would bring hope and healing in the midst of our gathering today. Whether it's online or in person, Lord, we just ask that your purpose would prevail and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen, and amen. Well, listen, I want to take you back to 1848. Now, before I, I move there, can I just tell you, next week, uh, we should have pretty much every sun area taken care of. So if you're in the sun right now and you're baking, we love you. Um, and I'm not going to preach extremely long so that, you know, we want you to get a tan, but don't want you to get burnt, all right? But, but I, I want to take you back to 1848, to the Hawaiian Islands, there, there was an outbreak. There was an outbreak of, of leprosy. Uh, they called it Hansen's disease. The reason why they called it Hansen's disease is because uh, there was a gentleman that discovered what was happening through some research and through some scientific studies. He figured out, hey, um, the reality is, is there is this flesh-eating disease that's highly contagious called leprosy. And so, so you could imagine uh, when you found out that you had this disease, they didn't know really what to do with it at the time. And, uh, and it was highly contagious. It was flesh eating. And it kind of made you look a little bit distorted. And so, I mean, literally it was super painful. It would eat your flesh away. And so they really didn't know what to do. So they, they took these, what they called as lepers, and they isolated them. They abandoned them. Uh, to the island of Molokai on, on a little part of the island called Kaluapapa. And, and you got to imagine, there wasn't any structure, there wasn't any laws, there wasn't any, it was just, hey, we're not sure what to do with this, so we're just going to put you on this island. And so you could imagine, everybody just kind of was trying to survive, they're sick, you, there's really no law, there was some lawlessness. And then Father Damon came around. He, he had a call to, to go to the Hawaiian Islands as a priest, but little did he know that God was going to use him as a missionary to lepers. And so Father, Father Damon gets asked to go and visit this leper colony on Kalua Papa. And he's 33 years old. There's about 700 lepers at the time. There's uh, uh, really just this fear of contagion. So they told him, don't eat from the same table. Don't touch them. Uh, there was no law. So he started right away to bring some order to the land. And, and it was interesting because... He was only supposed to go there temporarily, but God put it in his heart to stay there permanently. And so things really began to shift in his heart, but it was, it was exciting and it was devastating. By himself, he dug 1,300 graves. And it, he, he went on to, uh, to use some of the skills that, that God and that his father and that his parents had taught him in the early days. See, he thought he was just going to go through some priestly duties, but little did he know that he was going to teach these people how to build homes. He, he was going to take some time and, and teach them how to farm and how to build a life for themselves. Now, a lot of the lepers, because of their skin, they couldn't even hold the hammer. So they would attach hammers uh, via, you know, string and rope, and they would build homes together. I mean, it was crazy. He started sports teams for kids. He taught them how to raise animals. Um, and so you could just imagine that God began to stir his heart in a way that 
was unlike anybody else on the islands. It said that he would walk 10 miles every single day to visit, uh, to, to do, you know, little home house visits. He, he, would, he would clothe them. He would bathe them. They said that the smell was so harsh that he started to smoke a pipe just so that the smoke would fill his nose because it was so hard to breathe in the, in the presence of those in this community. And so, so this guy takes on a life that nobody else wanted to take on. He started to eat with them. He said, my greatest pleasure is to take care of the Lord's sick children whom most people have rejected. He said, this is where I find great joy. This is where I find great delight. And eventually he caught leprosy. And so he started to, to express himself in different ways as no longer you lepers, but we lepers. And so you could just imagine how God began to move. They, they, they built a church and they started to see many come to salvation. In fact, this is what he said. This is a quote before he died. He said, I'm gently going to my grave. It is the will of God. It should be a capital G. He says, and I thank him very much for letting me die of the same disease and the same way as my lepers. I am very satisfied and I am very happy. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, that's church in the wild. That's, that's church in the wild. See, he, he not, only, they not only built churches, but so many people came to salvation on this colony as a result of this man's sacrifice. See, he thought he was just gonna come to Hawaii, do some of his priestly duties, and God said, no, I'm gonna call you as a missionary. I'm gonna call you as a missionary to a people that nobody wants. And so I, I want you, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. And it's just that sacrifice can be a catalyst for salvation. Sacrifice can be a great catalyst for salvation. Now, now sacrifice simply means this. It simply means something given up or lost. Now, I, I know in this season, it's been a long time. It's been about five months since we've been in this COVID season. And I know that many of, of you have sacrificed. Some of it's been willing and some of it's been unwilling. Like, like some of you guys have made calculated choices to, to sacrifice. I was talking with a gentleman in our church the other day, and he got laid off of his job. He was getting unemployment, but it was a little more than he, he needed. And so he, he took the little ration that was left, and he said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest it. I'm going to sacrifice my comfort, and I'm going to help plant a church in the Philippines. Like, like some of you, you, you have actually sacrificed willfully. And then I think others of us, we, we haven't had a choice. We've experienced loss, and we've experienced, and we've had to sacrifice some things, but it hasn't been it hasn't been by choice. Maybe, maybe you lost a loved one during this time. Super painful. I know that we've walked with many of you through that process. Uh, maybe it's been your health. Maybe you did lose your job. Maybe just the, the circumstances and how things have changed so much. It's really outside of our control. And so you've had to lose. You've had to sacrifice on a lot of different, on a lot of different levels. And then others of you, God is going to call you in this time because maybe it hasn't been too bad of a season for you. And you kind of sense the Lord calling you to step out a little bit more in this season, calling you to sacrifice, to, to lay down a little bit more of your time, your talent, and your treasure that others might come to know him. And, and I, I want you to get this picture because I, I think in times of sacrifice, the, the, the question that we normally default to was, what about me? Like, like what about me? Like, I've given up a lot, I've done a lot, I, it's, it's been tough. But can I just tell you that God can use that pain? Can I just tell you that God can use that loss? 
that God can take that and use that sacrifice as a catalyst for salvation. You see, if we're asking the question, man, what about me? The, the reality is this, and, and this may seem kind of crazy to you because it's not normative, but if you're taking notes or pictures, I want you to jot this down or take a mental note, is that joy is on the other side of sacrifice. Now, there is joy on the other side of sacrifice, but you gotta be able to see it. You know, one of the life verses that God has given us here is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. And it, it's, it's the prophet Isaiah is declaring a, a prophetic utterance for the future Messiah, pointing to Jesus. And he says, do you not see I'm doing a new thing? Can you not see it? Do you not perceive it? I'm making streams in the wilderness and rivers in the wasteland. And then it goes on to say, so that people might be able to drink and that God would be glorified. And he's speaking prophetically of the Messiah to come. He's speaking prophetically about Christ, how those who are far from him will be able to be brought near, that there's gonna be rivers of living water, there's gonna be streams in the desert and rivers in the wasteland. And I'm gonna tell you, in those streams and in those rivers is a fullness of joy. But, but as poetic as that sounds, how were those rivers able to flow? Those rivers were only able to flow as his blood did on that cross. Like those rivers were only able to flow as a result of Christ's sacrifice. Like your joy, your security, your anchor, my anchor as followers of Jesus in this hour is a result of his sacrifice. Our salvation is a result of his sacrifice. Our streams in the river, our streams in the desert and rivers in the wasteland are a result of his sacrifice. And so, so now you and I are followers of Jesus, those of us who are following Jesus. And if you're not following Jesus, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do so at the end of this. But as followers of Jesus now in the example of Christ, that should motivate us. That should motivate us in light of our Savior that we too would lay down our lives, that we too would sacrifice in light of all that he's done for us, that others might come to know him, that others might be able to experience streams in the wilderness and rivers in the wasteland. I mean, but, but it, seems, it seems like an oxymoron because Jesus said, when you lose your life, you find it. If you try to save your life, you'll lose it, right? The kingdom of God is upside down. And it contradicts sometimes everything in regards to how we feel. We're asking, what about me? And God's like, man, I'm just telling you, if you lose your life, there is a fullness of joy there. Uh, Paul quoting Jesus in the book of Acts, he says, it is more blessed to give than receive. And again, that's another poetic passage. But when you get to the heart of it, we don't always believe that. But there's this upside down aspect of the kingdom of God that as we sacrifice, as we lay down our lives for him, for his glory and for people's good, I'm just telling you, Jesus says, that's where there's life, that's where there's joy. Joy is on the other side of sacrifice. In fact, I'll prove it to you. As we go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Can I just ask you a question? What is the sin in this season that's been tripping you up? Like, like what has it been? What, what, what's been entangling you? What's been keeping you from running the race with endurance, the race that God has set before us. Like what's been keeping you? Can I just tell you, sin is a great demotivator. 
and the sin that would so easily entangle us. I'll just tell you, sin will slow you down. We may not be able to choose our race, but we can choose how we run that race. And sin just, it has a way of slowing us, slowing us down. Maybe it's not sin, maybe it's discouragement. Maybe it's cynicism. Maybe some of these things that you've been entangled in, it's just, and you're like, man, I'm trying, Pastor, but how do I do this? Well, the scripture continues and encourages us. It says, we do this. How do, how do we overcome? How do we not get trapped in the sin that so easily entangles? How do we run this race with endurance? It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Another translation says, by fixing our eyes on him. It has this notion of, of fixing our eyes in such a way that we turn from all else so we're looking distinctly at one thing. Like, like when my wife, when we got married, God is in the business of miracles, right? I'm standing at the altar and you know, the doors open to the church and it was like, it was one of those moments where the light is shining through and she comes in this beautiful white dress. I'm like, Lord, I don't deserve this. Like, how was this, like, how did this beautiful Latina marry me? Like, how was that even possible, right? And I just remember, you could not take my eyes off of her. Like, you could not distract me from her. Like, eyes fixed. There, there was a distinct avoiding everything else that my eyes were only laid upon her. And it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Another translation says, the author and the perfecter of our faith, but not just the author that kind of wrote something and it's done, but the, the one who goes ahead of us, the one who is still leading the way. Like our eyes are fixed upon him. And look what it says. It says, because of the joy awaiting him. Like what joy? Like Jesus found so much joy in the Father's will. He found so much joy in giving the Father glory. And salvation for you and I was gonna be on the other side of that cross. And, and it says so for the, the joy that was set before him, joy is on the other side of sacrifice. But you gotta see it if you're gonna endure. Joy is on the other side of sacrifice, but you gotta see it. Listen, if our hearts are bent on God's will, if our hearts are set, and fixed upon Christ, on bringing glory to God and, and really living in such a way that it's for people's good, for their salvation. I'm just telling you this. There's a joy on the other side of that sacrifice that, that, that I, I can't explain to you, that, that you'll never be able to understand until you step into that space. Are you guys tracking with me? And, and so it says that this joy was so incredible that he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now, Roman crucifixion was not just meant to kill you. It was meant to shame you before you were dead. So they would strip you down naked. They, put, they would put you on a cross and you would sit there and suffer and die in humiliation. And it's for this joy, for the Father's will, for God to be glorified and for yours, for your good and for my good so that streams can flow in the desert and rivers in the wasteland. Jesus said, man, I've disregarded that shame. Like it, it's, it's, it doesn't even matter. And he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides, beside God's throne. Can I just tell you, fixing your eyes, your perception matters. Can I just tell you how much perception matters in this season? Like where our eyes are fixed 
It's huge. Let me introduce you to Eliud. Eliud is the fastest runner on the planet. Like, like he's ran a marathon under two hours. One hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds. Dude is the fastest guy in the world. And they said that, that his secret is this. Normally, marathon runners hit a wall at about 19 to 20 miles. And a wall is basically where your body gets depleted of carbohydrates and the proper nutrition. So your brain kind of gets a little foggy. You get a little bit messed up. And you start to get that sense of, I just, I can't do this anymore. You start to get that sense where I, I just, you start to think about the comforts of home. You start to think about how good it would feel to stop, right? You're looking at everybody on the sidelines and they're just rolling their little cars. And, and all of a sudden your eyes just get completely distracted. But they said, the reason why Eliud is, is able to run the race with not, without hitting the wall is because of his preparation. Because Eliud, he, he knows the race that he's running. Like when you, when you look at his life, you see the regimen, is, it's very strategic. His diet is very strategic, not just during the race, but before the race. And he's got everything calculated and dialed to a T. He knows the race that he's running, so it allows him to fix his eyes in such a way that nobody else has been able to do. Everybody has hit the wall at some point. He's broken the record twice. And so as I was, as I was praying for you this week, I know that, man, we've been in this thing five months. And for some of us, we, we feel like we're, we're hitting that wall. We're just like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know how much longer I can run. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm here to tell you today, we need to fix our eyes because we're in a marathon right now. We're not in a sprint. We're in a marathon. Our preparation right now, our diet right now, both physically and spiritually, like everything matters. And so, so we're in a marathon season. But I, I'm telling you, and I'm here to tell you today that, that if we'd fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, that, that we can continue to run and not just exist, but to thrive in this moment. Like God has not called us just to exist, but to thrive. And so I, I want us to fix our vision. I want us to, to get our eyes fixed on what really matters. Jesus understood the race that he was running. Jesus understood the task that was set before him. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, we need to know that. Because it's so easy and in moments where it's difficult, we start looking away and all the comforts and all the different things. And God is like, no, like the cross for Jesus was not an option. Like, like you got to understand, like, like, like for him, like he willfully went to the cross. But in the moment of temptation to, to turn away from it, he, he went back to the vision. He went back to the call. He went back to his mission. And he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Perception, his focus was fixed. Are you guys with me? And so I want to I wanna fix our eyes back on what God told us in the beginning of this year. He told us to make space. That was the vision. And God told us to make space in our lives spiritually, to, that he would increase our capacity spiritually. And he told us uh, to make space for those who aren't here yet. Now, little did we know that it would turn out the way that it has. Sorry, I keep ducking down so I can see you in the back. Little did we know it was going to turn out the way that it did, right? We, we expanded our building by the grace of God. So excited for that. We expanded our reach online. But I think those two things were just shadows of what God is really wanting to do in our community. I think those two things are really just shadows of saying, you know, Matt, I've called you, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, to equip the saints 
for the work of the ministry, that, that the extension or making space for those who aren't here yet isn't going to simply be because we're expanding our building or our reach online. It's when you're stepping into your sphere of influence on mission, making an eternal impact in the life of other people. Are you with me? Because here's the reality, is you know that, that only 2% will actually do what I'm doing. That'll be in full-time ministry as a vocation. That will be worship leaders or youth pastors or only 2%. That means 98% of you will never be in ministry in a full-time capacity in this context. And I'm so grateful for that. Because where are the people at? They're out here. Isn't it cool we don't say out there, we just say out here. They're out here. They're driving by right now. They're, they're in your areas of influence. And so I, I want you to get this, this picture that, that your job is not just for money, it's for mission. I want you to get this idea that if you're homeschooling in the season, you're not just simply trying to get your kids through the next grade, you're, you're making disciples. And, and I know a lot of it is not the way that we would have planned or maybe we wanted it to be, but, but God is doing something in the midst of you are the church, I am the church. We are an extension of his hands and his feet. And if we can catch that mission, if we could catch that, ladies and gentlemen, we will change the world. But, but, but here's the deal. When, when Jesus was crucified, the disciples scattered, but they scattered wrong. They scattered in fear. After they saw him be crucified, they lost sight of his word. Jesus told them, hey, guys, this is gonna happen. But the pain the crucifixion, it was too much. Like, we forgot everything he said, and we're just going by what we see. That's a dangerous place. We got to be way more moved by what he said than what we see. But what ended up happening was, because they saw, they saw the brutality of the cross, they're like, man, there's no possible way. And so when John chapter 20, we see that they went into a room, they scattered, they, they didn't want to be a part of Jesus. Persecution was, was starting to, to erupt. Jesus got crucified. And it says in John chapter 20, verse 19, that the doors were locked out of fear of the Jewish leaders. They're huddled up. They're afraid. They don't know what to do. Fear has paralyzed the mission. But, but, then, but then you fast forward, all of a sudden, Jesus comes into that room, into that place of hiding. And he says, Peace be with you. Like, like everything that they thought was a farce. They had a wrong perception. They bought into a wrong idea. They lost sight of his word and it distorted their vision. And so he steps in and he says, peace be with you. And then from that point forward, guess what happened? The game kind of changed. They saw the resurrected savior. Are you with me on that? But see, if they would have just held on to his word, they could have had that same confidence because he is a God of his word. But then you fast forward, all of a sudden they move. Uh, not, not now, now fear was paralyzing the mission. Now you fast forward, they're not in a place of hiding anymore. They are in a room, but they're in a place of seeking. Acts chapter two. Now they're in a place of prayer and preparation for the mission, waiting for power on high for the mission. It's a totally different place. So if you and I scatter, it can't be we scatter in fear that the paralyzed, that the mission is paralyzed as a result of no. When we scatter, we got to scatter in faith, in preparation, in prayer, knowing that God is going to empower us to do everything that he's called us to do. Can I just tell you, that is a big difference. That's a big difference. And so they went from a, a, a place of hiding to a place of seeking. And then guess what? Persecution hit again. And now it wasn't toward Jesus, it was towards them. And what happened? They scattered. 
but they didn't scatter anymore. They didn't scatter in fear. I mean, they, had to, they were driven out of their homes. They, they had to make moves. But look what it says, if you're tracking with me. They went from, uh, they, they went from uh, a come and seek to a go and tell. I'm going to fast forward this part. Let me just bear with me. It says, it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So now they're totally different. They're not hiding. Now they're scattering and they're preaching. They went from a come and see to a go and tell. I mean, there was a time where Jesus was like, hey, come and see. Come and see. Come and see what I'm doing. Come and see. Come and see. And the disciples say, man, come and see. Come and see. But now it was shifted to a go and tell. Now it's not come and see. Now we're going to go into the world and we're going to make disciples of all nations. And it says that they preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip say, uh, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he was saying. Can I just tell you that God wants to use you in your area of influence? Like wherever that is, God wants to use you because I'm just telling you that there are people that are waiting for miracles and God is gonna use you as a catalyst for that. Now, now this word sign, it, it doesn't only mean miracle. It doesn't mean less than that, but it means more than that. It, it means uh, leaving a mark in the original language, a, a, a token. So can I just tell you that, that God knows the miracle that's needed in the moment. God knows where people are at. God knows as you're in your areas of influence, he knows the signs that people need. And look what it says. It says that they're looking at Philip, they're hearing him, and they saw, man, he was living a lot differently. And it said that he had their ear, that they paid close attention to what he said. Can I just tell you that people are watching your life? People are watching my life. Are you with me on this? And I'm telling you, God wants to use you right now in this hour. There's miracles that are needed in moments that God has placed you in. This is a supernatural call that God has called us to. This is, there's nothing natural about this thing, ladies and gentlemen. This is a supernatural call. So let me give you two things before we, we leave. In light of that, this is what I want you to do. I want you to simply invest what you got. I want you to invest... What you have, you say, Pastor Matt, what do, what do I do? Like, how, how can I be the hands and feet of Jesus? Like, what can I do in this moment, in this season, in my areas of influence? Just simply, number one, just invest what you got. Let me take you back to Jesus and his disciples. Jesus just got done preaching to 5,000 men, not including women and children, so thousands of people. It's getting late, and his disciples said this. His disciples said, now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away go into the to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. So the disciples are looking at it. They're hungry. The people are hungry. They have just a little bit to offer that's not enough for thousands of people. So they said, we're in a desolate place. Go home. Send them away, Jesus. Send them to go get their food. Can I just tell you that many times when we see desolation, God sees an invitation. Like when, when we see something that's desolate, when we don't think we have anything to offer, when we see desolation, God sees invitation. When we see opposition, God sees opportunity. And, and so, so it said, but Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. 
And they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. How many times have we uttered those words in the last five months? We only have. We can only do. If I only had. If it would only change. If it would only, how many times have we uttered if only? A lot of times when we see desolation, God says, no, no, no. It's an invitation. It's an invitation for you to invest what you got. And Jesus went on to tell them, he went on to say, he said, and he said, bring them here to me. I love this, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down after taking the five loaves and the two fish, all that they had. He looked up to heaven and said, blessing. He said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples. And guess what? Everybody was satisfied and they had leftovers, thousands of people. But if we would simply just take what we have, some of us need to say not if only, or we only have, we need to say, Lord, this is what I got. But this is a supernatural race. We are not living carnal lives as believers. We should not be. This is a supernatural race. Can, can I just tell you, when we say, Lord, this is all I got left in my marriage, here you go. This is all I got left in my joy. This is all I got left. Here you go. This is all I got left in my calling. This is all I got left in my faith. This is all I got left in my finances. This is all I got left, but I'm gonna invest what I have. I'm gonna let it pass through your hands and let you do something supernatural that is so much bigger than me. I, I had a dream this, this last week and I'm not a dreamer. I don't have like all these you know, dreams from God. I wish I did, but I'm not that guy. But I had this dream and this doctor brought in two kids, uh, two kids to like a hospital room and one of them just looked dead, and the other one was just gasping for air. And, and the doctor walked in, and I, it was so clear. It was just like it was normative. He said, oh, these ones are gone. I'm like, he's still breathing. He's like, no, no, these, these ones are gone. And, and I remember, I'm looking, I'm like, what, what's happening here? And so, so in the dream, I, I prayed one of those prayers that just feels impossible. Like, it was very simple. It was just like, Lord... God, would you heal them? God, would you? It just, it felt so insignificant. Long story short, these two guys come up, they're alive. The doctor comes in and says, man, I've never seen anything like this. But the emphasis that I woke up with was not on the miracle. It was God saying, you didn't think that prayer was effective. You didn't think that that was gonna go anywhere. Because that's how I felt. I'm like, kind of offered up a prayer like, that's not gonna work. Anybody been there? And God is saying, listen, if we would just give him what we have, he can use what we have. Some of you guys have stopped praying. You've stopped seeking. You've stopped growing. And God is saying, come back. Let, that, let the little you got pass through my hands and see that I can't do exceedingly and abundantly. Even in the midst of suffering, I'll make a way. Invest what we got, some of you have stopped praying for your kids. Start praying again. Some of you guys have given up with this whole situation. You just, you're so fed up. Don't stop praying. Let's invest what we got. Lastly is this. I want you to understand that you're, you're purposely positioned. Right now, you are purposely positioned. And you may hate where you're at. Like, can we just shoot straight? Like, you may hate your job right now. You may not like your job, but you're purposely positioned. You, you may not like the school or even the, 
the Zoom that you have to go through and all the technicalities. What is August going to look like for us parents? My Lord. But we are purposely positioned. Right? I mean, listen, your neighborhood, my Lord, you are purposely positioned. And your family, as much as you may, even the ones you don't like, you are purposely positioned. You may not even like the times that we're living in. You may wish you were out of California. You may wish that you were living in a different era. But you are purposely positioned. Can I just tell you that? You are purposely positioned. And so, so I, I remember a, a story, uh, Pastor John Bevere, he tells a story. He said he, he had the privilege of sitting down with this billionaire. And this billionaire, he does a God tour every year. Takes his private jet. He goes, speaks to all the pastors that he likes, flies to their city, and just has them, just says, pour into me. Like, I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to be a, a better follower of Jesus. And so, so he's sitting down with, with John Bevere, and, and he, said, he said, I had this thought. He said, I wonder why pastors are so sensitive to the Holy Spirit when they're doing this. But when I'm conducting business, I'm conducting business like everybody else. Like, like what, what if I were to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit the way that a pastor is in the pulpit, in my area of business? Like, I wonder what God would do. So they had this dialogue. So he went back to his many corporations, and he just said, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be sensitive. I want to hear from you. And he said, God led him to do some very uncomfortable deals, some very unorthodox deals. He said at one time, he said he did something, a business decision that just did not make sense, but he felt like the Lord was in it. Well, later that decision led to 20 hospitals in Vietnam. And so can I just tell you that your position purposefully, like God has you where you're at, like no matter where you're at, don't, don't wait for a platform or don't wait for this, this, this grandiose moment. What if you were sensitive to the Holy Spirit in every environment that you stepped into? I'm telling you, there'd be miracles in that moment. He said that we always say, you know, cliches in Christendom that God is not looking for, you know, uh, perfect people. He's looking for available people. That'll just be sensitive to his voice. Let me take you back real quick to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a, a, very, a distinction between a priest and a king. It was actually pretty serious. Like King David would reign as king and do his kingly duties but the Levitical priesthood would take care of the, the worship aspect. And so Uzziah got in trouble for trying to combine those two, but we see in Zechariah a prophetic word of the Messiah to come. That all of a sudden these, this kingly role and this priestly role would come together in harmony in the person of Jesus. Zechariah says it this way, it says, tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne and he will be a priest on his throne and there will be harmony between the two. So all of a sudden now in the person of Christ, this kingly role and this priestly role, there's harmony now. And it gets better. It goes on to say in Revelation chapter 1, the Spirit of God revealing and speaking to John. It says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sin. Can we thank the Lord for that? 
How did he do it? He washed us in his own blood. Remember I told you rivers of living water, they flow from a place of sacrifice. Joy is on the other side of sacrifice. Sacrifice can be a catalyst for salvation. And it says, and he has made us kings and priests. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. So all of a sudden now, you and I are now called kings and priests, meaning these two beautiful pictures of priest and king come together as we reflect the beauty, the majesty, the glory of Christ. You and I are now in the earth as kings and priests. I was talking to Pastor David Sell. He's over our Bible college. And uh, if you're not, if you have a hunger to grow, we're going through Revelation in our Bible college right now. You should sign up. I think they'll still let you in. It's, it's good. But he was saying, you know, man, I think we're so comfortable with the priestly role, but not our kingly role. Like everybody, you know, in Christendom, not everybody, but there's more of a distinction. We're way more comfortable, you know, just in prayer and worship, and, and we're more comfortable in the priestly spaces. But God has also set us um, as kings, not, not in the king like we may know it, but God has positioned us purposefully with authority in certain areas. God has given us influence in certain areas. God has given us authority, so sometimes we walk around as if we have no authority. And so we're comfortable on the priestly side, but we need to step into the kingly side. Listen, God has planted you on your job. God has planted you in those areas of influence. God has planted you with authority. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to prove it to you. Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I command you. And know that I am with you always. The one who has authority over heaven and earth says, I am with you always. But it can be scary to step into that role because it'll cost us. Many times there'll be sacrifice. You know, I think one of the greatest ways, one of the greatest pictures of how Jesus overthrew darkness was not even in what he gained, but in what he gave, was in the sacrifice. It's hard for us to picture that. But then Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of the cross, in view of the sacrifice that he made so that you and I could be in streams of living water, rivers and wasteland. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to present your bodies as living sacrifices. You see how the motivation dramatically changes when you lay your life down in light of his mercy. All of a sudden, it doesn't feel like a chore or a command. All of a sudden, it becomes a, a delight to say, man, in light of all that you've done, in light of that sacrifice, I'm going to lay my life down willfully because the joy that I found in you, the hope that I found in you, the anchor for my soul that I found in you, when all hell is breaking loose around me, laying it down as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your reasonable act of worship. This is, this is what I would propose to you today. As you and I lay our lives down as living sacrifices, living sacrifice means we're, we're living, but not for us anymore. We're living, but we're dead. We're alive in Christ, but we're dead to ourselves. Can I just tell you, as we begin to present our bodies as living sacrifices, I think that we'll start to walk a little bit more in the authority that God has given us. We walk a little bit more courageous in the areas where he's placed us because we're totally sold out and we're not moved by anything except his voice. I think sometimes we're not comfortable in the kingly role 
it's because we're still not all in. There's parts of our heart that we're still, we're still ruling over. We haven't laid down. And so as we lay our lives down as a living sacrifice for Christ, the natural byproduct is we'll start to lay our lives down for people in the world. And the game will dramatically change because now we're moved by his voice. We're not moved by fear. We're not moved by popular agenda or, or, or by this or by that. We're just simply moved by the spirit. We, don't, we, we stop thinking about our reputation. We stop worrying about this or that. We stop complaining about small things. You know, all these different things because we are no longer living for ourselves. And I think what keeps us from walking in the authority that God has given us is just, man, we're not confident because we're still looking to us rather than the one who's been given all authority that sends us and says, I'm with you as you go. I, I, I close with Paul's words. I think Paul gives us such a great picture. He said, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. What if you woke up and got that word from God today? I only know that prison and hardship await me. What if the months and the days ahead I told you could be prison and hardship, difficulty, more sacrifice? Your, your focus is gonna matter in those moments. Look what Paul said. However, I consider my life worth nothing. Why, because I'm a living sacrifice. I consider my wife worth nothing to me. My only aim is to do what is to finish the race. My focus is set. My eyes are fixed. That sacrifice, my sacrifice, God is going to use as a catalyst for many salvation. And Paul knows that the joy he's found in Christ supersedes everything else. That's why he can be so beat up, so battered, but yet so still and so confident and so certain. Even though prison and hardship await However, I consider my life worth nothing, that my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Can I just tell you, church, Jesus is enough in this season. He's enough. And the more that we uncover this mystery, that we lose our life, we really find it. It's gonna be a big determining factor on how we ride the waters in the season that we're living in. It's, God has not called us to live selfishly. He's called us to live sacrificially. And that's not to our detriment. Even though when I say those words, it feels like it. He said, no, no, no. It's for your joy. So much better to give than to receive. So I'm asking you this week, one thing is just to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Open up your heart, say, God, in every environment you step into, God, how do you want to use me? What do you want me to do? I, I want to be sensitive to you in every aspect, just like I would if I was pastoring on a pulpit. The pulpits that you've given me, the platforms that you've given me, may I be sensitive to you, and may you have your way in my life as a living sacrifice. If you're not there yet, man, I totally get it. Can I just encourage you over this next week? Look at the cross, meditate on it. Let, let the reality of the cross sink in, of God of all creation stepping out of heaven in a bodily form as a servant so that you could have rivers of living water, so that you could have joy, so that you could have salvation, so that you could have an anchor for your soul when the waters are thick. 
and that eternity would be your home and destination. Pastor Chase and I were talking yesterday. We are but foreigners here, strangers on this earth. Better get comfortable as a stranger as we engage with the life-giving message of Jesus. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.